Let me read to us our passage this morning from Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. And here we read this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we begin this series on evangelism, I ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, first and foremost, remind us of your presence. Remind us of what you have done for us. And so we are never the beginning of evangelism. We're simply continuing the work of the Spirit. Simply pouring out what has been poured into us. And so, Father, we want to receive this morning. We want to know your Son, Jesus. We want to know his crucifixion and his resurrection and the power therein that we might proclaim, that we might tell. And so help us. Be with us over these next six weeks as we venture into the unknown, into what might be a very scary place for many of us, me included. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can go ahead, like I said, and be seated. I want to welcome you here. And if you're just joining the call again, my name is Jake. I'm part of the team. This week, today, we begin our six-week series in evangelism. And as I like to do with all of our new series, I want to recommend some resources for you. And so Hans is going to put those on the screen now. There are three books. And if I had to say, hey, here are three books on evangelism, these would be three that I'd recommend. The first is called Stay Salt uh, by Becky Manley Pippert, which is really good on the how and What of Evangelism, great, great book. Uh, Honest Evangelism by Rico Tice, really good book. Look at the why of evangelism, but also Rico anticipates that we're going to face some opposition, and he deals directly with how we endure persecution in the midst of evangelism. And then the third book is called Evangelism, How the Whole Church Speaks of Jesus. That's by J. Max Stiles. And that speaks more towards the corporate reality of evangelism. How do we as a church create a culture of evangelism uh, corporately. Uh, and so I really, again, would really recommend those three books. Uh, if you do know me, though, you know that there's probably like a thousand more books that I'd also recommend. And if you want to talk about that, feel free to stay on the call and we can talk about books all day. Well, I've used up my introduction time to talk about resources. So I'm going to jump into my three points, if that's okay with you. Our three points this morning are really simple and surround three basic questions. Three basic questions to help orient us in this series. And they go like this. One, What is evangelism? What is it? Two, why a series on evangelism? And three, how do we evangelize? So it's not complicated this morning. It's what is evangelism? Why are we doing a series on it? And how do we do this? How do we do this? So first point, what is evangelism? Now we all come to this topic If you've heard this word before, I don't want to presume that, we all come to this topic with some sort of baggage, don't we? For some of us, we think of a man or woman standing on the street corner with a megaphone. Uh, Others of us uh, imagine ourselves sitting down about to take like the first bite of our meal and there's a Jehovah Witness knocking on our door or a Mormon knocking on our door, right? Uh, Still, for the rest of us, we think maybe of apologetics 
right? Somebody rationally and coherently unpacking the gospel in front of a group of curious university students. Still, some of us think of the persecuted church, uh, the millions of men and women who are preaching the gospel in places it has never been heard before at the risk of imprisonment and torture and death. To help us unpack some of this baggage, what's good and helpful and what's not so good and helpful, I want us to give us a really simple definition of evangelism as we begin this morning. J. Max Stiles, in that book I just mentioned, he says this, really simply. Evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Now he amplifies that definition and he continues to say this. Evangelism is teaching or heralding or proclaiming or preaching the gospel, which is the message from God that leads to salvation, with the aim, the hope, desire, goal, to persuade, convince, convert. And all I want to do in this first section is unpack this very simple, very helpful definition together. So first, evangelism is teaching, heralding, proclaiming, and and preaching. Now, the word evangelism comes from the Greek word we find in our Bibles. And apologies to Heath and other Greek speakers on this call this morning. But the Greek word euangelion, which means good news. Evangelism is talking about good news. And so the evangelist is someone who brings this good news. That's all we're doing. To evangelize is simply to share the gospel, the good news. And this is really obvious. But I want to say this at the beginning of our series, because sometimes we miss this. This good news, which Jesus proclaimed, and the apostles after him picked up, and we now proclaim today, is a message to be spoken. I want to just say that again. It is a message to be spoken. At some point, someone who doesn't know church history and doesn't know the Bible Uh, falsely attributed uh, this apocryphal quote to Francis of Assisi, and it's been plaguing us ever since. And it goes like this. Do you know it? It, It's such a bad quote, I'm not even going to put it on the screen. I didn't even give hands a slide to put it on the screen. It goes like this. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Raise your hand if you've heard that before. Some on the screen, some here in person, right? It's so wrong. It's so bad And it's so unhelpful. And yet, if you look at our sermon series booklet, which I'd encourage you to do, you can find it in your liturgy, it'll have questions each week. You'll notice that in this series, we have sermons with titles like Evangelism and Justice. Sermons with titles like Evangelism and Personal Holiness. In these weeks, we will see that there is a direct relationship between our good deeds, our justice work, and evangelism. There is a direct relationship between our personal holiness and our evangelism. But doing good deeds is not evangelism. Personal holiness, personal piety is not evangelism. These things, again, are inextricably linked to evangelism, and I would say even necessary components of evangelism. But when we talk about evangelism proper, 
we are specifically referring to, again, I reference this quote, teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Now, the obvious question that comes in this first part of this series that we should ask, and we should not assume, is what is the gospel? What is the gospel? What is the good news message that changed the world as we know it? You see, in Jesus' day, there were a number of gospels uh, floating around. Uh, one inscription that's been dated to, I think, 9 BC, uh, around Ephesus, that, that area there, uh, is talking about Augustus, the emperor Augustus. And the inscription reads like this. This emperor who surpassed the hopes of all who had anticipated the good news. Same word, euangelia, good news. Because of him, the birthday of God began good news for the world. The Roman people had a gospel. It was centered in the imperial cult. Its savior was Augustus, and he was to be worshipped. That was their good news. It led to the Pax Romana and all sorts of great things. And like the Greco-Roman world, our culture has its various messages of good news, does it not? There are other gospels that we are competing with this morning. For example, good news. The peace and tranquility you're looking for is simply a matter of self-care. If you just stop and buy this cream, drink these vegetables... And who knows, maybe by the time you're old, we can live forever. Good news, right? Or, or good news, you now no longer have to put up with people you don't like. If you're conservative, you can move to Alberta. And if you're liberal, you can stay put with the rest of us here in Vancouver. And we can build our separate utopias. Good news. As I said last week, we all live according to a good news story. And the question today, however, is what's the good news story that is uniquely Christian? What is the good news story that we proclaim? How would you answer that question? If your coworker, your, your friend, your family member who doesn't know Jesus was to ask you, what's the gospel? How would you respond? How would you respond? When we study gospel presentations, if we can say that, in the scriptures, we find that the gospel, while it looks different in different circumstances, it has a definitive shape to it. It contains, as it were, certain components. This has always been true of the gospel. If you're looking for another resource, and again, I'm going to name books all day if you'll let me, in his very important, very good book, Evangelism in the Early Church by Michael Green, Michael Green makes this comment. The gospel has always had a clearly defined content, so much so that in half his, that's Paul's references, it stands by itself without qualification. So if you were to read Paul, you'd see this. You can spread the good news. You can teach it. You can announce it. You can chatter it. You can make it known or put it forward for discussion. Similarly, it could be heard, received, accepted as reliable tradition, and so on. Green says, there was a recognizable shape to the gospel, and there always has been. So we should ask this morning, what is the shape of the gospel? What are its necessary components? As we share the gospel in our world today, 
I want to say to you this morning that you should share at least these four components. Maybe don't share all of them in one conversation, but it should ultimately, in the fullness of your relationship, these four things should come out. First thing is this, that God created the world. That God created the world. That all of this is not a matter of chance or very fortunate accident, but that a personal God created personal beings to be in a worshiping, flourishing relationship with him. That God created the world. Second, that the world in sin rebelled against God. What's the problem with this world? Sin is. It's from sin and rebellion and our refusal to heed the voice of God that you and I experience brokenness, evil, destruction, decay. Corporately, we experience the awful reality of this fractured relationship. The third thing is this, and this is the climax of our story, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the Son of God who through his life, death, and resurrection saves us. We can be reconciled to God, redeemed, bought back from sin and the slavery therein. And fourthly and finally, that right now we live in this now but not yet. Though Jesus' kingdom has come, it has not come in full. And we await the day when King Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead and restore all of creation. Gloriously restore all of creation. Let me put those four things back on the screen for you. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. These are the necessary components of the gospel. And if we wanted to add a fifth one, it could be this. All these things are driving towards response. See, whether it's the good news of Augustus or the good news of self-care or the good news of Jesus, all good news stories demand a response from us, demand that we live in those stories, faithfully participate in those stories. And to participate in the story of the Bible, the good news story therein, is to turn from sin and believe in Jesus. That's what these four things drive towards. Which leads us to our next question. And this is point number two. Why, Jake, are we doing a series on evangelism? This is nice about the gospel. It's interesting stuff about the ancient world. But why are we right now doing a series on evangelism? There are a lot of things we could have talked about for the next six weeks. A lot of really good things. But we're talking about evangelism. Why? I think there are two answers to this question. There is a forever answer that will exist until Jesus comes back. And there is a for this moment answer. A forever answer and a for this moment answer. So first, the forever answer. As First John told us so clearly and so plainly, there is eternal life only in believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is one place to find life. And so Paul reminds the church in Rome these, with these words, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom how they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. 
The forever answer is, friends, evangelism is the God-ordained means by which people come to know Jesus. Evangelism, proclaiming the gospel, is the means by which people will enter God's kingdom. Evangelism is the means by which people are rescued from an eternity under judgment in hell. No wonder Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Evangelists are doctors running into the waiting room yelling, we found a cure for your disease. Evangelists are ambassadors proclaiming a peace treaty has been struck. What an amazing message to carry. And yet we don't always think that way. I don't always think that way. One of my all-time favorite and convicting quotes comes, strange as it sounds, uh, from Penn Jillet. Uh, Penn Jillet, you might know, is one half of the magician duo Penn and Teller. Maybe you've watched their show on TV before. But Penn he's an atheist. But he's talked about uh, proselytizing before, which is trying to convert someone. And as an atheist, listen to how he talks about Christians who fail to proselytize, who fail to try to convert people or share their faith. Penn says this, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life. Listen to what he says. And you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. He then asks, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? See, the forever answer on why we're doing a series, a sermon series on evangelism is because we love people too much to not talk about sharing our faith. This is who we are as Christians. We are by nature a outward sharing people. We read this already in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, but Jesus said this, Then Jesus came to them and said, this is his commissioning of his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this commission. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. To be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, Part and parcel with that is to go and make disciples. There is no such thing as a Christian who does not go and make disciples. And if you scan the whole story of the Bible, what we find is that unique to the Judeo-Christian tradition is this outward focus that has always been true of the people of God, from Abraham to Jesus to Paul. See, we take it for granted uh, that Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses and and you fill in the blank uh, will come knocking on your door 
with the hope of convincing you to believe what they believe. But it was the Judeo-Christian tradition that started that trend of trying to get people to believe what they believed. Listen again to Michael Green. It was Christians and Jews who accustomed the ancient world to the idea of proselytism, of conversion to an exclusive monotheistic religion. Apart from Judaism, there was no other religion in the world of the day which would not make room for other faith. See, the ancient world said, you have your gods, I have my gods, and maybe we'll combine them sometimes. Maybe if it, if it feels right, we'll, we'll mix them up a bit, and, oh, your God looks cool at that, and my God can do this, and, and, we'll, and we'll kind of sync them together and mix and match, and it'll be great, a little cocktail of gods, as it were. But from the earliest pages of the Bible, we find this unique faith, unique in the sense that it is not private, it is not secret, it is not open for synchronization, but it's a faith that alone can save and therefore must be shared, must be proclaimed, must be heralded. See, we all have these things that we, we would say are, are central to our Christian faith. We would list things like personal devotions, right? Acts of, of justice. Prayer, gathering to, to sing. But for many of us, we have conveniently left evangelism off that list. Which leads me to the for this moment answer. That's the forever answer. It's who we are, it leads people to life. This is the for this moment answer. Why are we doing this series? Why are we doing this series? We are doing this series on evangelism because we, and I include myself in this, so hear me, Christ City, because we are not particularly good at it. Now, let me just say this. As a church, we are not particularly good at it. Some of you on this call right now are excellent evangelists, and we want to learn from you and follow you. We want you to lead us and guide us. But corporately, we are not very good at this. The answer is multifaceted, but let me just take a shot at it. Part of the answer as to why we're not good at it is because as a church, the majority of our existence has been in a pandemic. Some of you have lost jobs. All of us have lost friends. Most of us feel isolated. Many of us are fearful. And when those things happen, Here's what we do. We shrink into ourselves. And we make our world very, very small because we can control very, very small worlds in the midst of chaos. And so please hear me. In so many ways, I cannot begin to express here, this has been a very hard season for so many of us. But can I also say this at the same time? Difficulties, trials, Fires, they only expose what we, what we most foundationally believe. Or as we saw last week, who or what our functional gods are. 
And in our rush to escape the the burning house of our previous existence, to build some some sort of new post-COVID shelter, some sort of new post-COVID fortress where we can control things, many of us did not bother taking evangelism with us. The question remains, why is that? Because me and you, we love the wrong things. The subtitle of our series is Evangelism, Sharing what you love. Sharing what you love. Every single person on this call right now is an evangelist, whether you're a Christian or not. We've all got good news to share, right? If I was a fly on the wall in your life this past week, what would have been the good news that I would have heard you proclaiming? What was the great hope you couldn't wait to tell someone else? For many of you, it was that you got vaccinated. That was your good news. Here's the good news. Life can go back to normal. I've got the vaccine. For some of you, it's that eating this particular way has changed your life, and so you should all do this. All eat this and all not eat this. See, there is a direct link between the idolatry sermon that I preached last week and our evangelism series of the next six weeks. Because Jesus said these words in Luke 6, For out of the abundance of the heart, our mouth speaks. I can figure out in 10 minutes what somebody loves over a cup of coffee based on what they talk about. Again, I include myself in this. The great obstacle in our evangelism is not our inability It's not. It's not. The great obstacle in our evangelism is not even our incoherence at times. The great obstacle in our evangelism is our idolatry. We have to start here this morning with our hearts, with what we love. Maybe you've experienced this, but the best evangelists I have ever met have not been seminary professors or pastors like me or even particularly smart or well-read people, the best evangelists I've ever met are new Christians. People who have just tasted of the goodness of the Lord and because they love him, cannot wait to share him with someone else. Again, Christ said, I ask, who do you love? What do you love? Our great obstacle over the next six weeks is not our inability, is not our incoherence, it's our idolatry. Which leads me to point number three. How do we do this? Really, this is what the whole series is about. So I'm going to give us some foundational pillars in this time that we have remaining. But how do we do this? Furthermore, how do we become the type of church that is all about sharing what we love? How do we create an evangelistic culture in us, among us? I want to suggest two very, very foundational things. And then again, we'll spend the next five weeks talking about this. The first is this. We do this in weakness. We do this in weakness. I don't know if there has been a more prolific missionary than the Apostle Paul. Right? Paul who started churches all over the Mediterranean basin. And while Paul was certainly intelligent, 
He certainly knew the scriptures. We would do well to listen to how Paul himself talked about his evangelistic ministry. I want to take take us to 1 Corinthians 2. And I want to see here how Paul himself talked about his own evangelism, his own proclaiming. Listen to me, Christ City, or listen to Paul, rather. And I, Paul says, when I came to you, Corinthians, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul says, and I was with you. This is good news to a preacher. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my wisdom, sorry, and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but listen, in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Earlier in 1 Corinthians, Paul lays down this fundamental, universal teaching about how God always uses the weak, the frail, the broken, the timid, the shy, the bashful, the unassuming, the losers, the marginalized, the outcasts, to do his work. So that when someone turns to faith, repents of their sin, believes in Jesus, the messenger is precisely that. Just a messenger with nothing to boast about. Paul said, and we read, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, the gospel we proclaim has at its center, at its heart, Jesus Christ and him crucified. The witnesses then go out in the very same manner as the one to whom they bear witness. In weakness. In weakness. We did an informal survey of community groups. Some of you are like, uh-oh, before this series started. And we asked this question. Why don't you evangelize? Why don't you share the gospel? Assuming you don't, why don't you share the gospel? And one of the clear reasons we do not share the gospel, according to this survey, was because, as a church... We do not feel adequate enough, knowledgeable enough, persuasive enough, well-read enough. And there's nothing wrong with growing in our knowledge of God's story. In fact, let me encourage that. But let me also say this. All of our study will never change the fact that at the heart of the message that we proclaim is a crucified Savior, Foolishness to the Greeks. Impotence to the Jews. An audacious message. And all of our study cannot make up for that. But take heart, Paul says. God has chosen to use weak, obedient people to spread his gospel, to spread his good news. So let me ask you this. What if you chose to really believe this, truly believe this over the next six weeks? 
What if it was a test? A trial? Okay, God, I hear what Jake is saying. I don't know if I actually believe it. But for six weeks, I'm going to live as if you want to use me and all my flaws and my stuttering and my lack of knowledge and all my weaknesses to share the gospel with people. What if we challenge ourselves in that way? Friends, this is how I'm praying right now. And in six weeks, come to my backyard, or maybe even inside by then, and let's talk about how it went. Let's share stories of how God showed up. Because ultimately, that's what it's about. God showing up in the middle of our weakness. The second thing on how we do this is very, very profound, and we can never forget this. We do it in the power of the Spirit. Paul said, My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstrations of the Spirit and of power. Notice in Matthew 28, Jesus said to his disciples, even as he's commissioning them, I'm with you, even to the end of the age. We cannot remove the Spirit from our evangelistic efforts. If we do, it's just weakness. The faith of the Corinthians, our faith today, however, is proof that even though the gospel is preached in weakness, non-powerful, trembling, stumbling, fumbling ways, there is power in our proclamation. And that power is a person. The Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God, So it should lead us to this conclusion. And Rico Tice, he he says this on his book, uh, in his book on evangelism, he says this, our job, this should free you up, our job is not to convert people. It is to witness to Christ. Conversion isn't the mark of successful witness. Witnessing is. Think about a courtroom. Witnesses are there to tell the truth. That's successful witness. If the jury doesn't believe them, that's not their fault or their failure. You have not failed if you explain the gospel and are rejected. Listen, you have failed if you don't try. Why? Because it's the Spirit that saves people. So let me end with these words. Let me end with this freedom in the gospel. Evangelism begins with the Spirit. Let me encourage you over the next six weeks to make a list of people that you are praying for. Five to ten people, three to four people, however many people you can think of, and pray for those people. Pray for your coworkers, your friends, your family. Pray for an opportunity to share the gospel. Evangelism begins with the Spirit. And the Spirit is in the midst of evangelism. He is directing you in that conversation when you don't know what to say. Or that person asks something that makes you very uncomfortable and you have no idea how to respond. Pray. The Bible is full of stories of the Spirit speaking through weak, fearful, trembling, ignorant people. So the Spirit's at the beginning of evangelism. He's in the midst of evangelism. And the Spirit seals the deal on evangelism. Conversion is not the mark of successful witnessing. Witnessing is the mark of successful witnessing. So if you want, as we conclude, you can close your eyes with me and imagine this. Imagine with me a church that is refreshingly honest about their weakness. 
their inability. But doesn't use that as an excuse to ignore evangelism. Rather, it leads them to glorify God all the more because he uses us. Weak people like us, he uses us. And imagine with me a church that is sensitive to the Holy Spirit, that prays for opportunities to share the gospel, is dependent on the Spirit in the midst of our conversations, regularly asks the Spirit to seal the deal on those conversions. And imagine this very Zoom call. Imagine Famia Ferlani. Our homes, our backyards, filled with people hearing the good news for the first time. That's the church I want to be a part of. What a sight it would be to behold the power of God in evangelism, where he gets all the glory and he gets all the credit. Let's pray. So, Father, I ask that for the next six, five weeks, You'd be with us. You would teach us by your spirit. You would lead us and you would guide us. And I pray for those on our heart right now that you're calling us to pray for. And I pray in six weeks' time, we could sit around and share stories of the work you're doing in those people's lives as you use weak vessels like us. Lord, would you make us an evangelistic church looking outward Not navel-gazing, but looking outward, seeking to share what we love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.